everyone. Welcome to the Bubble Hour, where real people tell real stories of addiction and recovery. I'm your host, Jean McCarthy. I write the blog on Pickles, which you can find on WordPress. You will also find me on Facebook for Unpickled and the Bubble Hour. And there's also Unpickled for Instagram. And I am getting ready to go on a vacation. So uh, I'm recording this a little bit early. It will be released uh, later next week. And then I will be gone for a few weeks. So you won't hear any for a little while. So I put out the call on my online group and said, help you guys, I'm going on vacation. I need somebody to to do an interview with me so I can record it quick and then I can go on holidays. And the lovely Amanda stepped up and said she would love to do this. So I'm pleased to share with you Amanda's story today. And Amanda is 40 years old. She's from the Pacific Northwest. She works as a nurse. She's got two super cute kiddos. And um, she recently celebrated her first year of sobriety. So, Amanda, welcome to the Bubble Hour, and thanks for helping me get this show in the can before I go away. Thank you, Jean. It's nice to be here. Uh, Now, you you said you're in your car parked on the side of the road, so you have a nice, quiet place to talk to me. Yep, it's not quiet at my house. (laughs) (laughs) I would would actually like to know how many of our shows were recorded under these very circumstances. I'm sure at least 30% of our guests are... I would think a lot of the shows, yeah. Yeah, (laughs) especially for people with kids uh, because households are busy. But um, I want to thank you for being here, and um, you've been thinking a lot about your story and getting ready to to do this show, and I know the bubble hour has played a big part in your recovery, and um, so you're familiar with how we roll here, so how about if I turn it over to you and ask you to just tell us about yourself and about your story? Okay. Um, I used to listen to the bubble hour way before I ever quit drinking, and um I, when you put out the call for people, I thought, oh, that would be cool, but nobody would be interested in my story because I'm just a boring mom. And then I thought, you know, those were my favorite guests back in the day. And when I could identify with somebody and see that they did it, those shows just gave me a little bit of hope. Hmm. So I decided to um, contact you, and everything worked out. So um, I'll just start with my story, and my nerves kind of kicked in when the music started, but um, <laughs> I have some notes, so I'll get started. Uh, so I grew up in a family with a mom and a dad and two older siblings, a brother and a sister that were my half-siblings and a younger brother. And um, I remember when I was about five or six, my dad would be gone every night drinking at the bar, at the bowling alley, and that was the time before cell phones. So if my mom ever needed him, she would just call the bowling alley. And he was just there every night. And uh, I just thought that was normal, that every family, the dad was gone and the mom did the home maintenance. And um, I remember saying, I can't wait until I'm a grown-up and I can go get drunk every night. And I, those are the exact words I used, go get drunk every night. So he knew what he was doing, and um, I don't know if it was because of that or because of other reasons. My parents would sometimes get into knockdown, drag out, yelling, throwing the dishes, fights, 
And sometimes they get in little fights where they would just not speak to each other, but they were always really scary and really tense. And the way the fights would end is they would just make up and pretend like nothing was wrong. And they would never talk about it, and we would just kind of think, okay, I guess it's safe to go back to normal. And um, one thing I've kind of realized in recovery is that I think it's because of that that I really grew not to trust my inner voice because I would see what was going on, and then the grown-ups around me were acting different. They were acting like everything was okay. So um, I think that became a part of my growing-up story. But anyway, um, when I was seven, we, my mom and my brother, my little brother and I, moved away from my dad and moved in with my grandparents. Um, and I just wanted to include that detail because that's when I started with dermatillomania. And I had never heard of that until I read it on your blog. I just huh. kind of thought I was um, <laughs> the only person who did that, and it was because I was weird or bad. Um, But I I definitely started that when we moved out, and my family would offer me money to stop doing it (laughs) and rewards, and I just, I kind of struggled with it all my life. And you talked recently on an episode about being the kid with the scabby ankles, and that was me too. Hmm. Um, So eventually my parents got back together, and, are you there, Amanda? Oh, I think I left you. Hello. <laughs> well, just when we said it wouldn't happen, of course it happened. <laughs> uh-huh. Oh, gosh. I'm not sure what happened there, but anyway, uh, things went silent. Um, can yeah, you I started okay to hear an echo. I can hear you okay now. Can you hear me okay? Yeah. Yeah, okay. I wasn't hearing an echo at all. So uh, maybe just things just got a little bit shaky there. Um, Weird. So uh, I can I can fix this part. So we'll back it up, and okay. um, so I'm just going to count us in, and then we'll uh, I'll I'll help you pick up where you left off. Okay. All right. Okay. All right. <laughs> Three, two, one. Okay, audience. We just had a little bit of a hiccup where Amanda's line dropped, and um, and we lost contact for a couple of minutes. So we're back here. So, Amanda, you were just saying that, uh, and actually this is a good part for us to back up a little bit anyway, you were saying that um, at this part in your life, you started experimenting or experiencing dermatillomania. And some of our listeners, especially new listeners who haven't heard me talk about this form of OCD on um, several previous episodes, might not know what that is. So do you want to talk a little bit about what that is and how you experienced it? Well, yeah, it's it's picking at your skin. That's an anxiety behavior that um, 
is kind of the cousin to when people have trichotillomania and pull their hair out, which I never knew until I read your blog. And um, it's actually kind of a form of OCD. Like it really, it usually has onset in sort of adolescence. And um, so I, like I knew a girl in school who pulled all her eyelashes out and did not at all connect it with the fact that I was like, scratching at my skin till it bled, you know, in kind of hidden places. So uh-huh. um, it really is a sign. Um, uh, some some research says that it's sort of a unexpressed rage or unexpressed anger or anxiety. But anyway, just so our guests know what we're, or so our listeners know what we're talking about, that's what it is. And we can talk a little bit more about that later. But um, okay. let's go back and pick up on your story there. So so your family, your your uh, siblings, and you went to live with your grandparents? We did. And that only lasted for about six months. And then we moved back in with my dad. And it ended the same way as all of the arguments. One day we were back and everything was back to normal. And my parents did that a few times as we were growing up. My dad would leave. And we wouldn't know if it would be for a week or two or a year and he would always come back, and they wouldn't get back together. Um, so that was weird. <laughs> um, and I thought that I was just a normal kid. I thought that everybody did that, and everybody experienced that. I didn't really realize until I was a grown-up and met other people that kind of told me about how they grew up that that didn't happen to everybody. Um, I would say during my school years I was – a good kid, rule follower, big time. I would do whatever my parents wanted me to do. I, you know, I didn't get in a bunch of trouble, but I would, I was a big follower, very shy, and I would kind of do anything to fit in. So if I was hanging out with the cigarette smokers, I'd smoke cigarettes. And if I was hanging out with the partiers, I'd party. Um, and I just kind of went on like that. I ended up uh, graduating from high school and joining the ROTC program because my mom wanted me to do that. And like I said, I would pretty much do whatever my parents asked. So I I hated it, and I did terrible, and I didn't fit in, and I didn't like it. And I would stay out late, you know, doing whatever, visiting my boyfriend and drag myself early in the morning back to college and eventually I ended up dropping out and uh, getting a job in the food service industry which is a hard partying industry so around that time I kind of started going out every night after work and I'd make a hundred bucks in tips and go spend 50 of it at the bar Um, and just wake up the next day you know not having to be back to work till four or five or six in the afternoon and that went on for years and I would catch myself once in a while saying you know I have been drunk for the last five nights that that's weird and and then I'd kind of push it out of my mind and think I I don't even want to think about that I don't want to stop that sounds like the worst worst thing ever and I would once in a while do that are you an alcoholic test and I would never drink in the morning, so I knew that I wasn't because I didn't fit all the criteria. Um, and that that part of my life just kind of zipped by because when you got your head down 
in a bar night after night, time just goes by and you look up and, and you're older. Um, so I met my husband that way and our whole courtship was going, going out and drinking. Um, but we did other things too. And, um, I'm, I'm still with my husband, but I just am saying that, um, a lot of our social life revolved around drinking. So eventually when I did quit it, we didn't really know what to do with ourselves. Um, Eventually, I got my nursing degree, and so once I got a job in nursing, my drinking schedule had to change because I had to be to work at 6.30 in the morning, and my husband at that time worked for a bank, but he worked the mid-shift, so he would go to work at 2 and work until 11, and I would go to work at 6 a.m. and work until 2.30, so I would have the house all to myself in the evening, and what I would do is buy two bottles of wine and drink one of them, and sneak out and put it down the trash chute. It was an apartment. And and then drink half of the next one so it would look like I drank half a bottle of wine. And then I'd go to sleep, you know, and he wouldn't see me because he didn't come home until after I went to bed. Um, and then we got married, and we moved into a house, and our work schedule kind of evened out. So then my drinking changed again to wine in the evening, and I moved, of course, to boxed wine, where you can't really tell how much is gone, and um, it's real easy to get a new box and put it where the old box only has, you know, one-eighth of it left, because I would stay up late after my husband went to bed and just have another glass, another glass, another glass. My glass would never get empty, so I never really knew how much I was drinking, and often I would wake up in the morning and feel the box and say, oh, no, this is, A, embarrassing, and, B, I'm going to have to hit the store on the way home and get another one. Mm-hmm. Um, and there were lots of nights or mornings where I would wake up and not remember going to bed. And we'd still go out and party on the weekends, and our social life was still the bar and the people we met at the bar. And even if we went to a party or something, we always knew we'd leave at about 11, so we could hit up the bar, and we always went to the bar with the strong drinks and the dark lights and the stinky cigarette smoke and the, you know, men who come there every single day for their double whiskeys. That's the kind of place I liked. Um, but then we had kids, and um, my drinking changed again because we couldn't go out as much, but I still had the box line. And, uh, you know, I thought once I had a child that I would be a great mom and I would just naturally stop drinking the way that I did. But I found that they don't tell you how hard it is to be a mom. And if you are the type of person who deals with everything by drinking, you've got a lot more stuff to deal with and no tools to deal with it. So... I, I just, I was, I wanted to drink more. And I, I kept the handle on it for a while, but eventually I'd slip back into my old patterns and eventually have nights where I didn't remember going to bed. Um, so, <laughs> um, 
and throughout this time, I would have the, the occasional mortifying moment that I think a lot of people probably know what I mean, where you go to a party and you don't remember leaving. Or um, one time I got really drunk in front of my whole family and woke up in the morning <clears throat> not remembering how I went to bed and just not knowing what I would find when I went downstairs. Um it was on a vacation with my, my mom and my dad and my sister and my brother and everybody. Um, and then I had another kid, and the same thing. Eventually I, I turned back to my nightly drinking, and it wasn't always blackout drinking. It, a lot of times it was three glasses. It was never less than that probably unless I was deathly ill, like puking. But I would drink through a cold and drink through a headache and drink through everything. Um, and I didn't really decide to quit drinking until I, so I started to get dissatisfied with my weight and I tried all the diets and finally realized that the common denominator here was drinking. I would, I'd go on this diet or exercise program and I wouldn't lose any weight and I would follow it to the letter, but I always drank the wine. And I finally said to myself, you're not going to lose weight unless you quit drinking. And I finally convinced myself, you don't need it. You could go without it. It's possible. Just maybe it won't be that bad. So I, I started looking into how to quit. And that's where I found the bubble hour. But I couldn't quit. I, you know, I'd go one day or not even one day. And by the time I got to the evening, I just thought, I deserve this wine. i got to have this wine. I, I've been working hard all day. A lot of people drink at the end of the day. I just want to be one of those people. So I'm going to have a glass. And then, of course, I wouldn't stop with one. Um, and by that time, I'd been, you know, hearing people's stories about how they quit. And I just started feeling terrible because I couldn't do it. I couldn't be like those people. And people would tell me they surrendered and they had these spiritual awakenings and that just wasn't happening for me. There was nothing that was happening that was making me want to quit. And that just gave me more anxiety and I, I just wanted to drink more because I felt like a loser. Um, so eventually I did go to a doctor and confess everything. And that doctor said, well, why don't you do the whole 30 and see how that goes. And she had such great intentions. She told me how brave I was to come and tell my story, and I was crying in the office. And But, of course, doing the whole 30 doesn't help with the drinking. I, I quit for 14 days, and I felt really good, but I just started back up. And that whole process of trying to quit actually kind of ratcheted my drinking back up. And I don't know if I was panicking or what, but... I, I found myself doing things that I hadn't done before, like being hungover and taking a shot in the morning or, um, you know, starting earlier in the afternoon. Um, and eventually one of those days I had to go to a family party and I, I drank before and I ended up just getting wasted at the party. And it was another one of those mortifying moments. And that was one of my last times. I I gathered up all the wine I had. My sister was in town and I'd bought 
nice wine in case she came to visit. And I gathered it all up and I gave it to her. And I was like, I'm done. I'm done drinking. I'm so embarrassed about what happened yesterday. That night I woke up in the middle of the night and my husband was like, what is wrong with you? What happened to you yesterday? I told your family you took pain medicine and that's why you were acting so weird. And I was like, I just don't know. I don't know what is wrong with me. I don't know why I had a chance to sober up and I just kept drinking all day. Um, but even when I handed all that wine to my sister, I knew in my heart that I wasn't done. I knew there was no way I could finish out that day without it because I was just shaking from shame and anxiety. Um, so I, I just went on for a while, but little by little things, things kept happening. Um, I did find Holly Whitaker's hip sobriety school and I did that. And I spent many nights studying her information with a glass of wine in my hand. And things started happening around me. The hospital where I work at, we get a lot of trauma victims. And I would see people come in who had started out their day just thinking they're going to work or they're going out for lunch or they're going to go shopping. And then they ended up having a terrible accident and dying. And uh, I had a friend, a coworker, who died from cancer very quickly after she was diagnosed and I just started thinking what if I was on my deathbed how much would I regret spending any moment with my kids being inauthentic and telling them I love you man and I just was drunk and it wasn't real and I didn't want to waste one more minute and I don't say that because I think that my kids were the reason for me drinking and I, or for me quitting drinking. And I don't want anybody out there to think that they should be able to quit because of their kids or because of my reasons. That, that was my reason. Um, I just didn't want to spend the rest of my life living half-heartedly and not living up to my potential. So I decided that New Year's, um, 2017 would be my last day, and it wasn't because I was so hungover that I drank a little bit that day to make myself feel better. So January 2nd was my sobriety date, and I haven't had anything to drink since then. Um, (laughs) And here I am now, and a lot of stuff has happened in the meantime. I've grown a ton in the past 464 days. Um, I am always a little bit jealous of people that have New Year's as their sobriety date because it's like they literally get fireworks. (laughs) (laughs) They they get the biggest sober birthday party ever, but it's also a little bit tricky because everybody else is drinking on that day. Um, How did you get through this last New Year's? Was it hard? Did you stay home? How did you manage your first sober New Year's? You know, I was out of town visiting a friend. I was out of town for a wedding, and so it was just me and my girls in a hotel room. Um, So that wasn't too bad. But honestly, after what I've learned about drinking and after listening to Holly with Hip Sobriety School and that um, Hip Sobriety blog and your show, I, I don't want to drink 
I'm so glad that I've woken up from that myth that that is a cool thing to do. Mm-hmm. Or that it's helping anything. Right. It's it's poison, and it it makes you inauthentic. It hurts your health. It makes you act like an idiot. I, I've been out with friends, my old partying friends, and watched them just turn into slobbery, repetitive messes. And I really don't want to be there. You know, it strikes me as really hopeful um, that even though as you were listening to this show or doing hip sobriety's program, and the hip sobriety school um, costs money to take, so you would have paid for that, and um, but participating in it while drinking, um, you know, there's some irony there, but I think Holly and myself and anyone else that does any kind of, you know, information kind of service for people that are seekers uh, or sober curious, as some people say, um, you know, we know that not everybody that's listening is in recovery yet. And so you would have been at that stage of change um, that would be like more the contemplation or preparation stage rather than action, where some people in that course the course would have been the action stage of change for them where they quit drinking and that was the action mm-hmm. they took to do it. But the lessons still took root and have still been a really powerful part of your recovery. So I feel like that's a really important thing that you're sharing there because I know there's people hearing this that might be just really frustrated by feeling like maybe imposter syndrome or like a fraud because they're listening or they're going to meetings or whatever they're doing and they're they're still not getting it yet. But I think it's important to know that it's you're in the process. If you're in the process, you're preparing for it, you're planning, you're you know, you can't stay there forever. You have to move through the stages of change, but it's part of the process. Does that resonate with yeah. you? Yeah. Yeah, I agree with you. Um I kind of lost my thought there. Once you know that you want to quit and once you realize that it's a problem, everything you learn and everything you listen to and every nugget you store away that affects you or, you know, strikes your heart is something you can't forget. And eventually, hopefully, it all culminates in you mustering enough tools to try stopping and I am a really big advocate of not necessarily saying you're going to stop forever because if you just try it, you can see how it goes. And if you just get one day, the next day you can say, look, I did one day, I can do it. Because I never believed I could do anything until I did it. And what, now that I've proven to myself that, you know, I proved to myself I could go a week and I proved to myself I could go a month and it's actually spread out into other areas of my life where I know that I can do, I know that I can regulate myself. So what are some of the areas that it's spread into? What else have you been able to achieve that you didn't think you could? Well, um, my diet, for sure. I would always like I mentioned earlier, I I was struggling with my weight and I would always say, all right, this Monday, I'm going to eat healthy. I'm going to count my calories. And I would always, always just give it up on the first day or the second day. And 
I didn't believe I could do it. And I, I thought other people could do it, but I couldn't. And now I see that it's okay to not have everything I want all the time. Mm. Mm-hmm. It's not going to kill me. You know, I'm I'm glad you brought that up because right now I happen to be struggling with my weight and I'm not really sure what's going on with me, but I just am comfort eating a lot. And I get so frustrated with myself. And it occurs to me if I just applied that same principle of just do the next right thing, like just don't eat the chocolate chips for a minute and then don't uh-huh. eat it in the next minute. <laughs> like really... I remember that in recovery when early recovery when it was literally like just one minute at a time. I felt like my obsession for wine was just screaming at me like I need it, I need it and I just kinda had I felt like yeah. I was dealing with it. My inner toddler was like forever having temper tantrums. And um you're right though, like we can apply apply those same lessons. Yeah, um, you can just just don't have it for a while. Yeah, right. Um, working in the healthcare industry, I mean, you mentioned that you saw some things that really made, gave you pause to uh, to consider, you know, how you wanted to spend your time on this earth. Did you feel at all like a fraud or like an imposter um, working in the healthcare industry, but knowing that you you know, weren't really, like, the drinking is so unhealthy, and I'm I'm assuming you know the health risks associated with it and the long-term damage that alcohol causes. Um, were you in sort of denial about that? And also now? Yeah. You, yeah, okay, tell me about that. Yeah. Well, so many, 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 like, a vast majority of the accidents that people have have are related to substance abuse. And um, people would come in and they would have had this accident and we would kind of act like, you know, well, who does that? Who who drinks three bottles of wine and then gets on a horse? Or, you know, who, who, drinks, who drinks a beer and then puts their toddler on a lawnmower? I, I, these are weird examples, but... Um, In my mind, I'm going, we're all just one bad decision away from a terrible accident. And every time I get drunk, I could step out my front door and step off the side of the porch or, you know, crash driving or fall down the stairs. I mean, this happens to people. Weird accidents. Mm-hmm. And we're all, it just, it just takes one little thing to veer off course and... I don't want to put myself in that position anymore. I'm curious about drinking culture within the healthcare industry or at least in your workplace. Um, you know, I, I've, I've heard, like, to my surprise, that a lot of professions that we don't think of as being hard-partying professions really seem to breed a lot of alcohol dependency teaching being one of them. A lot of teachers um, drink um you know, recreationally together or joke about drinking and because they have such a stressful job. And also I think any any workplace that's really female-dominated can tend to be um, really buying into this pervasive sort of algogenic culture that, I mean, the wine marketers especially are just hitting women so 
so hard with, Mm -hmm. you know, T-shirts for their kids that say, like, Mommy's funnier when she drinks wine or, you know, that kind of dumb crap or, um, you know, first I drink the wine, then I do the things or whatever. You know, that whole culture that's sort of really hitting women hard right now and making it fun and funny and, you know, we, we deserve this and... Is that were you experiencing that at all at work, and was it sort of normalizing any behaviors, or was it just not talked about? Well, I think people at the end of the day definitely say, oh, "I'm going to drink tonight," and I don't know if it's you know chicken or the egg. Like, do we choose those professions because we are apt to mm. to drink? I mean, I know that a lot of us are caretakers, um, and we choose those professions, but it's a hard, it is a hard job. And you're kind of under the gun all day long, and you're almost always rushing, and you're taking care of people, and you're not always having people speak to you in a respectful way, and you really have to be tough in nursing and in teaching and in, in many professions. And I, I definitely see people going out after work or um, saying they're going to, or having wine parties or wine tastings, or you know, you have the secret Santa at work and 75% of the secret Santa gives her bottles of wine or whiskey or something. Lame, <laughs> but true. <laughs> it is. That's what I got for my secret Santa this year. And I was like, sweet, thanks. <laughs> but I, nobody I knew that I wasn't drinking. I gave it away. They, did um, Do they know now? You know, I wondered if you might ask me about that. And I don't shout it from the rooftops, although I kind of feel like doing that sometimes. It's really sacred to me. Mm-hmm. And when I don't get I the reaction that. that I want about it, uh, it just, I don't need that. It kind of, I don't, it kind of hurts my feelings when I don't get the answer that I like. And I've mentioned to people, oh, you know, I haven't drank since such and such a date. And maybe they'll say, oh, yeah, yeah, I cut it out for Lent too. And I, in my mind, I'm going, no, 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 you don't get it. Like, this is this is a miracle. Throw me a yeah. parade. Um, so or I when know. people sort of act like they feel sorry for you, and you're like, "No, this is great. Like, I'm." Yeah, yeah. And it's if wonderful. I'm going to tell you about it, it's because you deserve to hear the story. Yeah. Um, so I, I'm not. I would tell people, but I don't unless they ask me. It's interesting to me that you did talk to a doctor about it because. A lot of people are afraid to talk to their doctor because they don't want it on their medical records. Um, what do you think about that? You know, I didn't really even think about that. Um, and I, w- I don't think I ever would have had the courage to talk to a doctor if it wasn't for shows like yours uh, and just listening to other people say that they got help from their doctor. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think I think it is good to tell our doctors about it. I mean, if we can't trust the person who's helping us with our health, who can we trust? The only thing that I noticed is that my doctor didn't really seem at all equipped to talk about it. I didn't really tell him until after I'd quit for a while. And he sort of seemed like embarrassed and awkward about it. And I wish, you know, I hope maybe this is something that we can do through just changing the dialogue and being more open about things, but I would love to see doctors get a little bit of direction and what they can do to help people. I mean, you know, your doctor was that, that was pretty um, uh, positive of her to try and suggest 
the whole 30, even though it wasn't that helpful in the end. But um, Right. Yeah, she had good intentions, but I totally agree with you. Many times women come to the doctor and kind of feel it out and say, you know, I've, I've been drinking a couple glasses of wine and every night. And for one thing, they almost don't have time to talk about it, it seems like. And yeah. for another, they are doing it too. And they think it's, they think it's okay. They don't think that, that it's wrong or bad unless you're really having health consequences. I feel mm. like, yeah. I mean, I yeah. tons of the doctors that I work with drink, and even the hospital throws wine events. Right. Yeah. But the um, one of the high up leadership in our hospital actually made a joke about drinking as he was illustrating a mission statement that um, was talking about good health, good community health. <laughs> just it's so and, normalized. <laughs> I, yeah, I just wanted to stand up and say, wait, wait a minute, you can't, you can't tell this guy he can have a drink in the same breath as talking about wanting people to be healthy. Well, if I was a doctor, and I ha- at this point I don't think I'm going to be, but if I, if, <laughs> if that's how I was, or if there's any doctors listening, here's what I think would be really great to tell people when they come to you and say. I think I drink too much. I'm thinking about quitting. Tell them the same thing you would tell them if they said it about smoking. Tell them all the health benefits of quitting drinking, especially for women, how it reduces breast cancer by 25% or some huge number like that, that the um, cancers of the digestive system are greatly reduced. The heart health is greatly increased. Like There's so many health benefits to giving up alcohol and there's zero drawbacks like there's nothing positive that it does the the studies that um sort of indicated that there might be some health benefit to drinking a glass of red wine a day you know those have been pretty thoroughly debunked um as showing that the the demographic that was drinking one glass of red wine a day tended to be sort of an upper middle class group that exercised every day and that their those those health indicators could have been accounted for by a lot of other things and that the same health benefits could be achieved without wine by going for a short walk every day. So mm-hmm. yeah, I would I would love to see people tell the health benefits of not drinking versus the harmlessness, supposed harmlessness of drinking. But okay, tangent I think that's over a really <laughs> what's that? I said, my tangent is over. (laughs) But also, though, um, I'm a nurse, and I went to nursing school, and I work in this industry, and I didn't care that that it was hurting my health, really, any more than someone who's addicted to smoking wants to hear the health benefits of quitting. I mean, I think it helps Mm -hmm. a little, but I wish that they had somewhere to send women, because when it's two o'clock in the morning and you think your kids are never going to be good sleepers and you're crying and you just don't know what to do, that's when you want to drink the wine and that's when you're thinking, heart health be damned. I need something right now. Right. It's survival. You've got nobody to talk to. In order to talk to anyone about it, you have to admit that you do it and that is terrifying and who do you even talk to? 
This is true. And you also talked earlier about being kind of a people pleaser and a shapeshifter. And oh. I really think that we are the type of people who really struggle um, in early motherhood because there's no one to tell us the the direction. Like we're always looking to other people for direction and guidance and approval and like there's none of that when you're home with babies and I'm watching my daughter-in-law who's got you know a one-year-old and a three-year-old and she is so grounded and you know I mean everybody looks better on the outside maybe than they feel on the inside but she just isn't one of those shapeshifter codependent kind of people and and I could spot him from a mile away, so I feel like I would know it if she was. <laughs> and I <laughs> Lucky see in her. her like she, I just think, oh my God, she is breathing through this. I mean, it's a lot of work. Don't get me wrong, but I don't see in her that sort of like wild-eyed, lost look that I felt like I had when my kids were little. And I really think I was just always looking for that grounding of like that feedback, and I never got it. So, did you feel that way at all? Does that resonate what I'm saying? You mean do you mean feedback from your kids? Yeah, like just how hard it was to be at home yes. with little kids or to be a young mom when you're I've so said that reliant before. on other people. It, you, yeah. There's no, there's no reciprocation for the work you put in for a yeah. child. I mean, you can spend all day long just meeting their needs perfectly, and they still want to cry all night long. So, yeah, there's it's that's really hard. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay, what's a better way for a young mom to cope? If somebody's listening and nodding their head and saying, yeah, I'm in it right now. <laughs> like, we understand well, why you'd want to drink. We do. But what else could we be doing here? I had, I found a mommy and me support group. I think I'm a huge believer in support groups. So yeah. you could look for that. Mm-hmm. Um. And you might even not have that in your community other than a 12-step group. I mean, you might have to look for that support there, which, you know, maybe would be a wonderful thing. That's not the route that I went. But um, having someone else say me too, I think is the best, the best thing you can get for that. So maybe a friend, maybe your own mom. It's, it's hard to find, though. Mm-hmm. I mean, it can reach be. Reach out. Ask for help. Reach out. Definitely. And, and just it, realize and that other people, and it's happening to everybody. Yeah, You're not bad at being a mom. You always think that you're going to be amazing. Or I did. I thought it was going to be amazing because yeah. I was ready and I was excited and I totally knew how I was going to parent. And then it's so different than you ever would think it would be. Yeah. Um, and so I felt like I was the only one. I felt like I was a failure and other people were doing better than me. So I didn't want to tell anybody what I was going through. But you can because the, the other person would probably be relieved. I can totally relate to that. When you say that, man, it, I mean, my kids are in their mid-20s now, so it, it just feels like yesterday. And I really realized that I expected to do a great job because I did a good job of everything I did. I was a perfectionist. And, yeah, me too. Um and I was unprepared for the fact that I really it was beyond my control, these kids. And um, and the other thing was that when because I was a shapeshifter, I took everybody's advice, and I really wanted everybody's approval. And 
like I say, you don't you don't get the feedback from your kids, so you're kind of like right. really hungry for that feedback and connection. But when someone does, you know, when when someone does give you unwanted advice, it can be really crushing because you take it as criticism, like, oh, mm-hmm. you're not doing it right, and you know, and they might just be telling you, who knows, like. You know, they might just be uh, most people's intentions are good. They just want to yeah. help you, and they're just telling you what works for them. But you yeah. sometimes just want to say, "You don't think I've tried that already? I've tried everything." Yeah. Like it feels like judgment, or it ends you up ping ponging because you're like, "Okay, I'm doing this. Oh, now today I'm, I don't know what these call it, ferberizing. Oh, today I'm doing this. Oh, today I'm reading Spock." And and um, me, I'm, yes, I totally agree <laughs> with you. And you give something, you know, two hours, and if it's not working, you're like, this doesn't work. Yeah, exactly. And you're on to the next thing. So it's pretty, it's, it is a tough time. But here's the beautiful thing about what you've chosen. And because um, your kids are elementary school age, right? And mm-hmm. uh, now their normal is that they get to see what recovery looks like. I mean, even if you don't share everything with them or, you know, um, even if they didn't see you at your worst or really realize what you were going through, they their normal is now a mom who's present, who's really self-aware, who's growing. Um, have you really given much thought to that? Or are, you, are you seeing the benefits of that in your kids? Are your kids giving you any feedback What's that? I like? I think um, for one thing, I've taken what I've learned and tried to model it and tell them about it. Like, um, don't worry about things that haven't happened yet, or just sit and think about what the problem is, and take a minute to decide how you want to solve it. Um, so, and I and you know, I tell them. I I work out because I want my body to be healthy and I'm I'm really trying to model healthy self-care for them. So I think that that's helping them. And I also think that I don't yell at them or get angry nearly as much as I used to. I still do sometimes, though. Do you... um, I'm able... Anxiety. Do you... Like anxiety, for me, I realized whenever I was really cranky with my kids, it had a lot to do with my own anxiety. And um, mm-hmm. unfortunately, I didn't really conquer that until they were older. Um, but how do you feel about that now? How do you deal with your anxiety now? I try to catch it, and I'm not always successful, but I try to feel it ratcheting up and stop and say, why do I feel like this right now? And many times it's because I'm hungry. Um, But I just pause and I think, why is this happening? And then I try to address the root of it. Like if we're running late, I just reset and say, you know, maybe we'll just be late. It's Mm -hmm. not the end of the world. Or if it's because my toddler wants to wear sandals on a rainy day, I say, you know, maybe she'll just wear sandals today. (laughs) <laughs> and so that's that's been how I deal with it. That and trying to feed myself and exercise myself and take a break and get get sleep because I feel like when you're well is shallow, you have not very much coping mechanisms to draw from. So I try to keep that well 
full. That's the way that I think of it. What's your exercise of choice now? I do bar bar classes. What is that? Is that like ballet? It's kind of like a combination of Pilates and yoga and ballet. It's small movements to tone your muscles. And I've never had any workout change my body the way that this has. Um, it's really hard, but it, that's because you make it hard. It's not hard because you're running or jumping or beating up your joints. It's hard because you're concentrating on the movement and your muscles get fatigued and sore. Mm-hmm. But it is, it's no impact, so it doesn't beat you up. Oh, and I love it. Wonderful. I turn my brain off. Turn you my brain off. Like Listen to the instructor, and you get to dress cute. Yes, <laughs> you don't wear, wear your shirt, hair in a bun. but. <laughs> And my hair is too short for a bun, but yeah, people do, and they look super cute. So, oh, if you're well, into that, that's fun. also a plus. <laughs> okay, so bar class. You know what I I think? Um, just for just a split second there, I had bar class and pole dancing kind of confused. So that's a well, whole different that kind too, of work. It's fun. Yeah. yeah, I've heard that too, <laughs> but I feel like I could really hurt myself and traumatize a few people along the way. <laughs> Um, what's the response been from your husband? What does he think? You mentioned that, you know, partying was quite a big part of your life. Is he supportive of this change? He's supportive. He's, um, you know, I didn't learn how to talk about things as a kid, and I still don't know how to talk about things as a grown-up, and I am very bad at being vulnerable. So we don't talk about it that much, but every once in a while I'll have, the guts to say, you know, if I was still drinking right now, this would be a nightmare. Or, you know, right now I would have won, I would have had a huge craving to drink. Or um, we couldn't be doing this right now if I still drank. And he says, yeah. Uh, you know, he's he said a few times that he's proud of me, but we don't talk about it that much. Both of our lives, though, have become less stressful, we do more healthy stuff, he exercises more, because he would drink right along with me, and he says that he only drank because I drank, but he, he'd have 12 whiskeys right alongside me, so. <laughs> Has your reduction I, I mean, drinking reduced his, though? Does he drink less now? Big time. Because you're he drinking drinks less. Yeah, he'll only yeah. drink if he's going out with the guys, and he'll only drink one, and he says he doesn't like to be hungover, and so. Yeah, he's decreased it a lot. But there's probably some stuff that we should still work on that we've kind of just been pushing to the side. A lot of intimacy mm. stuff because all my intimacy was drunken courage for my whole life. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, you know, there is a wonderful book that I recommend to anyone um, called How We Love. Um, the author is a couple by the last name of Yurkovich and it talks about different maladaptive sort of coping skills like different um, variations on attachments that we learn to do and um, often people that get along really well are both operating on kind of a maladaptive coping skill and so for example my husband would be an avoider and I'm a pleaser so we never fight but we also never talk oh, about Oh that's anything. interesting. Yeah. And um, it's it really has it helps with parenting. It helps with interfamily relationships, and I mean it's meant for couples, but it's really 
quite broad-based. So the, I think their website is howwelove.org. Let's wait, let me look while we're talking. Uh, and the book is wonderful, and there's a work, workbook, but even just their website is full of is full of information. Uh, howwelove.com. Highly recommended. I should get them on the show because I recommend them so much that they probably should come on here and just talk about it for themselves. But I know I would love that project. show. <laughs> yeah, it's it, it's it's a real eye opener for me, and also to learn that you know, just as you were talking about earlier about dermatillomania, how you sort of think, oh, this is just a bad aspect of me. No, it's just a human aspect of coping, and um, you know, people that are withholding or super dramatic or super isolating um they're just those are just very <clears throat> excuse me very human adaptations to insecure attachments and when we can kind of look at things that way um of course the goal isn't to change anybody it's to sort of understand what your own um attachment style is so that you know oh yeah okay wait i'm i'm a pleaser i'm sort of falling into these behaviors um, this is what I need to do in this situation, and it, and it helps draw the other person out too. So, um, this is what recovery and is all about, right? It's just identifying yeah. and working on it, which is such a beautiful thing. And it's interesting. It's so interesting to find those things out about yourself because I just thought I was some variation of normal and just going along. And the more I learn about myself, the more I think, oh wow, no wonder I've been like this. Yeah. And it's it's fun and it makes it easier to take care of yourself when you understand why you're doing what you're yeah. doing. It's true. And I feel like it in, increases your capacity as a person. I mean, it increases your capacity for joy, it increases your creativity, it increases your your capacity for love and giving and receiving. I mean, it just makes life bigger in general because a lot of these things that we just learn to sort of put up with about ourselves they're really kind of limiting you know like they Mm -hmm. and it sounds like you're really becoming fully yourself like just really fully owning your life i think you used the word word wholehearted earlier and i love that word well yeah and i do feel like that i i feel like Owning it is the best word, and I'm telling you, I never thought I would be at this point. I thought this was for other people. I thought you had to accept a certain level of BS to get to this point, and I was wrong. Hmm. That's amazing. Yeah, that's great. As uh, the last few minutes tick out here, um, do you still struggle with dermatillomania? Is that still something that presents in your life? It kind of does. Like if I have um, a mosquito bite or a scratch, I don't do it on purpose. I don't like create injuries (laughs) and I don't pick up my skin unless there's a bump on it. And I kind of have have tried to not do that. So, but it sometimes does. And, And I check myself. If I find myself doing that, I think, Wow, am I having anxiety about something? Mhm. Yeah. And I I've seen it in uh patients too and I I haven't yet said anything to anybody, but I always wish that I could say, you know, other people have this and there is help. Mhm. Yeah. I have said something to two people 
um, that I know well enough to say something to and to have mm-hmm. said, you know, um, I noticed that this is happening for you and, you know, it's actually a sign of stress and anxiety and that um, it's your body's way of asking you to for relief. And I tried to be really gentle about it and offer some resources and stuff, but it's something that it can take time. You know, I always think of it as just planting a seed because it can take time. And um, mm-hmm. and it is a hard thing. And just statistically, I mean, this show has 50,000 listeners a month these days. So just statistically, there's literally hundreds of listeners who <laughs> experience the same thing. Hundreds yeah. of listening. So um, I hope that us just even not being afraid to talk about it today um, give somebody a little bit of awareness and relief. And um, uh, I, I invite listeners, if you want to email my, myself or, or Amanda, you can email me and I'll get it to Amanda to talk about it or ask about it. You certainly can. Um, and, of course, that's the bubble hour at gmail.com. Um, you said that it's, there's been lots of hard moments in the last year. Can you kind of share with me what something difficult that you've had to overcome has been and how you managed it? Oh man, let me think. Um, well, it's been difficult to put myself kind of first as far as taking care of myself and to put limits on other people, saying I can't do this. Um, kind of disappointing people when you're a people pleaser is difficult, and um, I I had this blowout with my family when I tried to confront them and they weren't ready for it um so i've had to i've had to deal with that and the way i did is i got a counselor um and just saying things out loud to her in her office kind of helped me figure it out um so that's one example i i'm sure i have a million more (laughs) after (laughs) rough the line you'll be like oh i should have told about this i I know i'm already thinking of tons of things (laughs) But actually, if you had to pick one thing, and working with a counselor was one, I would like give that a standing ovation because that's a huge, huge help in so many ways. Um, well, I found that even, even just saying things out loud makes me have revelations. Yeah, right. Mm-hmm. Especially, you know, you mentioned that it's hard for you to open up and be vulnerable. So I'm guessing that doing this feels super uncomfortable doing this show, and I'm really grateful that you're willing to do it because... A, you're doing a good job, and B, if it isn't easy, then, you know, it's even a greater gift to have you do it. Yeah, I really, really wanted to do it, but I know that when I hang up, I'm going to be embarrassed. But that's okay. I probably won't listen to it. (laughs) You should, because you'll be surprised at how smart you sound. (laughs) You'll hear it in your voice. You'll hear that wisdom that a year of sobriety brings. And, of course, we don't have all the answers, but there's growth there, right? And... And joy, I hear joy and growth in your voice. And I mean, I didn't know you before, so I don't know really where you've come from, but just, um, I don't know, I guess it takes one to know one in some regards. I think that's why we we love hearing from other people in recovery, because the lessons that someone learns and shares with us is just, everyone is a celebration because it's something that held us back that we're free from now. And I love that. Yeah. Well, and also just, I know the audience out there, it's nice. I mean, I know that they're just uh, other versions of where I was at, you know, maybe way farther along, maybe way less far along, but 
I know that they're probably cutting me some slack if I'm doing anything wrong. <laughs> they are. You're right that they're nice. It's true. Like they really, this is a really lovely community. I mean, first of all, because if we were annoying them, they would just like turn us off. <laughs> Which I invite you to do if you're feeling annoyed right now. Except you, Amanda. Yeah, but you don't tell us. Up. Yeah, but don't tell us. We don't want to know. Just, just, uh, just hang up. But um, or hang up. Just you know, delete. But no. But I really think that we do have a really warm and welcoming community, and that imperfection is really what this podcast is all about. It's about embracing imperfection and. Um, and celebrating a willingness to be vulnerable and to tell your story and to not fake it. I mean, it's such a breath of fresh air in a world where everybody is, you know, we're putting our best foot forward and we're we're putting our game face on for the world. And mm-hmm. I think it's just so nice to pop your headphones on and listen to a podcast like this or some of the other recovery podcasts where people are really telling the truth and and what it's really like because it's, you start to feel like maybe you're the only one that feels that way. And um, mm-hmm. it's such a relief. It just creates such a bond between all of us. And I'm really grateful that you did this and that you're here and willing to be honest. And I have one last question for you before I let you go. And that okay. is um, about your parents and your siblings. Because you mentioned, you know, the role that alcohol played in your life growing up. So I'm just wondering what your relationship is like now with your family of origin and um, if they know that you've quit drinking and what they think of that. That's interesting that you asked me that. Um, They know, but we've never talked about it. I just stopped. My sister is probably the one that I'm closest with, and she was the only one who ever questioned my drinking. Um, And she's told me that she's proud of me. We've never really discussed it, but... um, She's the one I've talked to most about it. But the rest of them, I just, I mean, my my brothers may or may not have noticed. I know that my mom and dad have noticed, but we've never discussed it because, again, we just don't chat about unpleasant things or do you Do you have any desire to talk to them about it, or are you okay with it just being your own thing? I'm okay with it just being because, again, it's so sacred to me that I don't, I'm not really ready for their opinion about does it. Does your dad still drink? And has it had long-term he, effects on him? He does still drink. He drinks a lot less than he did back then. Um, he definitely still drinks, though. And my mom drinks, too, but not much. And not much to me is a couple beers a day. Yeah. Or a couple well, glasses of wine a day. Every day, so though. they do. So. <laughs> Well, and sometimes it's scary for people. You know, they might be interested. They might even be happy for you. But I think sometimes people are scared to ask because they're afraid you're going to tell them what their role in it was or that, I don't know, that they see themselves reflected in you or they fear your judgment. Or You know, there's just there's often a lot of fear there for family of origins. Yeah, when it comes I agree. To people quitting drinking. So it's nice that you're able to... Just let it be because, you know, your sobriety doesn't need their support or opinion. And even just to just accept them where they're at probably is better for your own peace, too. I agree. And for them and for other people, I just try to live in a way that 
like actions speak louder than words. I yeah. I can illustrate how I'm living. And people can see a shining example, hopefully, and, you know, think what they will of it, I guess. I think they will. I think they do see a shining example. Our hour is, is past. I feel like I've known you forever, Amanda. I just feel like this is just... <laughs> you have. You just didn't know it because I've known you for years. <laughs> Well, this is just lovely. Thank you so much. Before I let you go, any um, words of encouragement or any final thoughts for our listeners before you go? Can I tell them a couple of things to read on the Internet? Yeah, for sure. Read Hip Sobriety Manifesto, and you can Google Hip Sobriety Manifesto, and read Laura McCowan's Pictured Not Pictured post, blog post, and her... I can't even say it. Her, don't let the house burn down. I can't read it without crying. <laughs> um, beautiful. She's an amazing writer. Oh, yeah, they both are. And Holly's yeah. sassy attitude about how she will not be taken down by the alcohol industry is so empowering. And um, and Laura's writing is beautiful and comforting. Mm-hmm. Um, I agree. And just keep listening to the Bubble Hour. <laughs> Um, and, and, oh, and one I other never research thought I you do mentioned, it. This Naked Mind. You mentioned the book, This Naked Mind. Um, oh, yeah. I hear a lot. Of, I haven't read that one myself. I need to because Annie Grace is doing some beautiful work. She has a new podcast as well. And She um, is so amazing and so selfless. Yeah. You know, she just gives people advice. It seems like out of the kindness of her heart. And so science yeah. really helped me. We didn't really even talk about that, but science. If you're not real, okay. Let's take a couple minutes before um, we go and talk about it because I think that's important. You were saying that you never really connected with the whole spiritual part of recovery, and and you felt like you were missing something there, and then I was you pissed. realized, yeah, <laughs> I was pissed that other people got signs from God and I didn't, um, and just frustrated me that people would have these beautiful moments. And I was like, where is my beautiful moment? (laughs) Um, So science, the way that it was explained to me about the the brain chemicals involved in addiction and why we drink and how for our brain, it thinks we have to do it for for survival. And I would encourage people to look into it because it's interesting. Um, and also just the way that when you're immersed in a society that tells you it's okay to cope and that the way to cope is alcohol, you do it. And also when you're brought up around it, you think it's normal and you do it. There's a lot of science and real proven information about why people get addicted and how it's not a personality flaw. Um, so that really helped me to know that I wasn't like spiritually inept. <laughs> um, and yeah, now I, just... I see signs. I see signs now because I'm looking for them. Oh. And and so I don't necessarily what... think it's woo woo, but I think you know if you are looking for encouragement, you'll find it. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. Like when you know, how did one person explain it to me? Like it's not like it appears. And it wouldn't have appeared before. It's that you've decided you value it, so now you see it. In the same way when you're pregnant, and then all of a sudden it seems like you see pregnant women everywhere. 
or you get a a dog and then you suddenly notice there's dogs, you know, all over your neighborhood. Um, I think it's the same thing is like you start to realize that you want to see a sign and then you realize that they're all around you. So what's the most, what's the latest sign that you've seen? What's something that you took as a, a nod from the universe? Oh, my goodness. Um, Okay, I have a big one. I was going home from work one day, and I had a terrible day. And um, I turned off my radio, and I just was talking to myself out loud. And I was crying, and I was like, all right, I guess this is as good as it gets. And what I need to do is be grateful for everything I have because I have a lot. But I feel like I'm really working hard, and nobody's noticing. And... um, you know, why Why am I working so hard? And then that very night, the um, one of the instructors from my exercise class said, hey, you should be a teacher. Have you thought about teaching? I, it was the owner. I'd like to take you out for coffee and talk about you becoming a teacher. So somebody did mm-hmm. notice. <laughs> and it was just so weird that it happened right on that day, right when I needed to hear something. That's cool. It happened. But there's little signs too, you know? Yeah. Sometimes just a sparkle. I was skiing last couple weeks ago, and the snow was just so sparkly, and I just felt like God was winking at me with every little sparkle, you know. And then I thought, well, maybe not, but at least I'm noticing it. Like I was just so happy to notice that something was sparkling around me. And it sounds mm-hmm. like a little thing, but I mean that's like what it maybe is the universe just wanted to remind you to appreciate little things. Yeah, right. Don't rush by, which mm-hmm. you know is good because I'm I'm not a very fast skier, so <laughs> just telling me it's okay. Just see, that's you know, okay too. Yeah. Plow, plow. <laughs> okay, well, our hour is definitely up, and you have been absolutely fantastic. Thank you so much. I have loved hearing your story, and I really think that it's so encouraging to know that. You know, it it took you years to get going, and now you have it, and now you have a year plus 100 days, and Mm -hmm. um, that's... Never thought I'd get this far, ever, ever. I know. I just, I celebrate that with you, and I thank you so much for sharing your story here, and I think this is a wonderful way to celebrate your milestone by, by sharing your story with others so that we can just keep this cycle going. Yeah. So, listeners, if you were touched by Amanda's story and you would like to share some thoughts with her or write to her, um, you can send your messages to me, thebubblehour at gmail.com, and I will forward them on to Amanda, who can then respond to you. And um, you can also find me on Facebook for both Unpickled and The Bubble Hour. I'm on Twitter, and um, my blog is unpickledblog.com. And I guess that is it for today. So by the when you hear this airing, I will be on a van trip with my husband for 10 days from Alberta to Vancouver Island. And this is a big deal because we are trying to retire and so this we're going to find out how we do um 10 days together in a van. So you may want to check my blog while I'm away and see <laughs> I might be posting a lot. <laughs> saying, come and get me. Somebody come and get me. But anyway, that's it for this time, everyone. Uh, So until next time, everybody, please take good care.
Want to be free from power? 